Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. How cool was that? That intro, man. I haven't done it in a couple of weeks. I, I, I want to play it again, but I'll play it. I guess I get a chance to play it at the end. Um, but I got a great guest tonight. I'm really excited to talk to him. He's a retired NYPD detective. Um, he's uh, got a consulting a company that he runs, and he's also a frequent contributor on CNN, Fox, NBC, ABC, and the BBC, folks. Let's welcome Tom Verney. How are you, buddy? How we doing, everybody? Good to be here. Good to be here, too, man. I'm, I'm happy that you decided you, you joined me tonight. Um, we, we have some people in the chat. Jen Lowe has joined us this evening. Hi, Jen Lowe. She says, good evening, everybody. Little Mermaid from uh, California. Ariel, hi everyone. She says, Ronnie Girl, 1971. Hey guys, Kathy Bates, hello. Sandra H, yo, Mark DeMeo. What's up, Sandra H? How you doing? <laughs> Raquel Pranza, good evening, Mark. And Tom, gonna be a great show. And Peter Pranzo, hey, Mark, Tom, all good. Uh, police off the cut chat with friends. So, yeah, that's uh, they trickle in, and I'll, I'll be dipping back in there uh, a little bit later on. Rafael Ramos. Oh, look, he's uh, Rafael Ramos. I'm looking at a tiny picture. He's he's 9264. Oh, which, yeah. We're yeah. the same company in the academy. Really? What what, yeah, what year yeah. did you come on? In 92, 1992. Did you, the midnight class? Yeah. Me too. Brooklyn Tech. Yeah, I wow, was what us. Small, what you, so you were in '64. I was in '55. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in the same gym block. Uh, probably, probably were. Yeah, you probably saw me floundering, flopping around like a fish out of water. <laughs> you don't remember me from the shower room? I used to hang out there and just wash my shoulders, standing <laughs> all the guys. Oh, so maybe, you, remember, don't... you don't remember this move, the wink? Uh, yeah. <laughs> first one out, last one out. No, yeah. first win and last one out every day. <laughs> no, because you know when uh since we were on the same gym block, our company used to line up and as soon as they cut us, we had the first you take off right down the stairs. Yeah. And then you take yep. off, you go to your locker, you you, you get unchanged real quick, you grab your towel, this way you get in the shower, you get out. Yeah. You know, everybody used to do that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, remember that? <laughs> oh, how many people, people have no idea? I don't, maybe they do. Maybe you've talked about this before, but like for people who don't know, the old academy was on East 20th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue in Manhattan. It was built, I think, in the 60s, in the early 60s. And uh, whatever mold started growing there in the 60s was still there in the 90s when we came in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it would just kind of come up and grab you and be like, "Hey, what was that?" You know, um, I had the good fortune of working in the police academy after I retired as an actor. Um, oh. As a matter of fact, we got defunded, but the yeah. good news is, folks, we're coming back. I got an email, and they said uh, they're picking us back up again. We we what we do is we do um, crisis intervention training, oh, yeah. how to handle mental illness, uh -huh. and I would imagine. Well, thank you, Eric Adams, first of all, for uh, for giving the okay for us to come back. But I would imagine that we're going to come in pretty handy right now because a lot of these things that are going on, we'll talk yeah. about in a little while, have to do with people who are mentally ill. And um, you know, it's a it's a, it's a great it's a great program. It's a good payday. But one of the things I noticed about being back in the academy was that these uh, the cadets now they they have bottles they have uh water bottles assigned to them not water bottles but something to put your water in with your name across it uh -huh. and i was thinking to myself how did we drink water back then like we used to have to go to that that fountain right yeah. if you wanted yeah. water yeah or, or a bottle unless you bought a bottle of water yeah but i, but I don't know if you could even but back then some things was grown because you even have a bottle of water back then when you were allowed no but they they run with the water God forbid they they get a little parched. Wow, yeah. I mean, what the? Can you th can, think about this? Like, first of all, just even without the academy, did anybody drink water twenty years ago? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Before uh, bottled water came out, where did we get water from? Well, yeah, water nobody drank water. You drink water out of a water fountain in in a park, in a city park, for that matter. Oh, that water was delicious too. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, or out of a hose. <laughs> oh, right. Right. I used to ask people. I'm asking people that. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the uh, the Babylon area of, of Long Island. 
Yeah, I, I was in Astoria, and I remember playing with my friends, and we used to, um, you know, you'd, you'd be so thirsty, you just ask somebody who's, hey, do you mind if I take a sip off your hose? <laughs> and you were so smart as a kid, you let it run for a second because you didn't want to get all that rust water. Well, it's this close to being a being a Bushwick boy because my uh, my parents, well, actually a, Car- a Canarsie boy because my parents originally were from Bushwick. They got married, moved to Canarsie, and uh, they were going back and forth if they were going to move back to Bushwick or not, and then they decided to move out to, to Babylon. That's where I grew up. But I, a lot of my family was still in Brooklyn, so I spent a lot of time, and, and Queens as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn and Queens growing up. So that's why, the, you know, the, the you know uh, culture shock of, of being a, you know, a cop in New York City was... Yeah, not really much for me because I I'd spent so much time in, in the city as a kid uh, that it, it was nothing new to me. You know, when some of these people are like, oh, what is that? Oh, ooh, what am I sticking to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you spend enough time in the city, you know all that stuff. Yeah, yeah East Cupcake. Yeah, that's, that's what they called it, right? Yeah. Uh, what was that guy's name? There was a guy. Uh, somebody just mentioned him recently. There was a guy when you went for your physical. Are you talking about it, Skippy? Yeah, Skippy. Remember that guy? You walk around yeah. with a cigarette butt hanging out. Every, everybody, go back every, to who knows when. Everybody knew Skippy. Yeah, yeah. Very different. It was a very different time, you know. Where are you from, be, dude? Let it's, me guess. It's very dangerous. Hey, listen, listen. When we came into the police department, you had two thousand people a year being killed in the city, mm-hmm. and people were being killed like it was for free. And uh, you know, now I, I actually do. Um, I, at one point, I was an instructor in the academy as well. And I actually still do some of the training uh, out here at the Nassau County Academy. And I've been doing that since the late 90s, like 99 or so. And um, I tell the recruits, uh, even out here in Nassau County, you know, that it's like like we were talking about before we came on the air. I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I went in. We When we left, the city was in better shape. The city and the police department were in mm-hmm. better shape than what they were when we found it. That's that's without a doubt, and the numbers will show you that. Mm. But the while I tell the recruits, it's technically safer now, crime wise, than it was in 1992, 93. You know, it's the early to mid 90s. It's the most difficult time, in my opinion. It's the most difficult time to be a police officer, right? Um, Because back in the day, you know, we didn't have. Smartphones, you know, you weren't on every camera on, on every corner. You weren't being second, third, fourth guest for every action that you took. You know, politicians generally, you know, backed you most of the time uh, in most areas, and that's not how it is now. So it's, it, in my opinion, it just became look a at this guy. Now that you bring it up, type job, you know. I want to show you something. There's two reasons why I'm going to show you this, but this is one thing. Okay, um, this was on ten. NYPD sergeant has pled, pleaded guilty to punching a 48-year-old man in a Harlem holding cell in October of 2019 and to attacking a 35-year-old man during an arrest in an Upper West Side subway station in, uh, in 2020. Now, the original, the original reason why, I'll tell you in a second why this caught my eye, but this was the type of thing that, back then was you know it wouldn't you know punching some i first of all i didn't believe in it at all i would never hit somebody um who was already cuffed mm-hmm. I, I thought that was just like uh cowardly but yeah um just the the, the, the second incident that they're talking about happened in transit he was a transit sergeant he had the guy on the floor the guy had spit on him already there was a couple of different levels to this but while the guy was on the floor he punched him once um mm-hmm. while on the ground and they both were situations where, um, you know, these people were, at least the second one I recall reading in length, that it was, um, that there was a lot of resisting going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure, you know, we were taught to punch and kick in the academy mm-hmm. and uh, and to always try and get the upper hand. But apparently you're supposed to get beat up now. Mm-hmm. While you're while you're trying to uh, arrest somebody, that's that's part of the deal that we sign up for. I I, I never heard that part, yeah. but here's what I wanted to point out to you. See the last line on that. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg announced Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Now we have so many crimes. Well, I'll show you in a little while the the poopoo face, the guy who's smearing shit on people's faces. Mm-hmm. He's already out. I don't see no announcement by the only announcement that I've heard. This guy, Alvin Bragg, 
do give is this one, and it involves a cop. Mm -hmm. Alvin Bragg announced Wednesday. Yeah. It's the only article that I've read since that moron's gotten in yep. uh, about um, a, a, an announcement. He's never announcing that we just apprehended a murder suspect or we found the uh, we found the he he didn't announce that we're, we're prosecuting the guy who hit the lady in the in the head with the hammer. The yeah. uh, the scientist who left um, after working uh, all those hours at eleven o'clock at night. He he didn't announce that, but this he had to make sure. That it's on that he announced. Yeah, and this is on the heels of, of him, you know, putting out uh, memos and, and, and talking about what they were going to prosecute, not prosecute. I mean, for people who are not in policing, who uh, who listen to this podcast or watch this podcast and, and listen to similar shows, what they what people don't realize is how frustrating. Aside from the just immense stress of the job. Uh, and, and listen, we know that we sign up and we're going to be stressed out. We're going to see a lot of things and uh, things that you'll you know never forget in some cases, right? So and we know that comes with the territory. What really, you know, uh, should not be coming with the territory are people who don't want to do their jobs. And that's, you know, you have people like this who feel they're, they're doing uh, the community a service by letting, you know, this guy as well as some of the judges as well. Uh, letting out people who were smashing shit into people's faces and, you know, hammering people in the head with a hammer. I mean, who who thinks that that's a good idea? I just don't, you know, Cuomo, when he was in office and, and his, his, you know, bail reform law and, uh, you know, de Blasio running the city into the ground for eight years, we, you walk around and, and, and pretty much piss wherever you want openly. doesn't matter now. You can jump and turn it down. Oh, I mean, that's one of the good things about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if there's like kids around, you know, it's a little weird. But when you're I, drinking in the city and you get, you know, now that's the one good thing about it. Yeah, yeah listen, if it's done discreetly, you know, nobody's seeing it. Yeah, okay. While you're waiting for a cab on the corner. Yeah, yeah. But if you sit in front of Pop's fruit stand and you got your wine hanging out and you're watering the plants, it's like, you know, come on, that's a little. You never, you never try to hit the guys in the bike lane on the scooter? Yeah. <laughs> was that a new game now? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I played it one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's that's what makes you know part of, of what makes policing and, and why people just they, they gotta leave after a while because you're you know, it's it, it's you're fighting an endless, unwinnable battle. Uh because you're you're literally doing the job with one arm and two fingers and, and one leg and a couple toes behind your back. Mm -hmm. Uh by the, the, the feckless leadership uh of the city of the state you know in the courts it's just it's just an endless you know uh battle that it just drives people bananas and, and you just you see these guys you lock them up you know our friend rafael ramos is out there you know he could tell you you know how many times he probably locked up a guy and, and the guy was out before the ink was dry in the paperwork you know, it's yeah, just, now now you now they're just giving desk appearance tickets out. I'm like, we'll bring up that guy. tickets away. If you showed up for your for your court appearance, it's like really is that what I need to do to see them to see the Mets? Is I gonna go? Uh, you know, I know that's so sad. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge Mets fan, and that that blows my head. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. Hey, uh, let me just uh, mention the Margaret O'Hearn. Margaret Hearn. Hey, Lieutenant Peter Prenzo, Harlem Raiders, Mark and Angel. Well, Angel's not with me tonight, but do you remember NYPD inspector in the Bronx named Tim Timothy Sheehan? He passed away in 2011, non-service related. He was my father's second cousin. Hmm. I don't that name. I knew Mike Sheehan. Um, yes. I knew Mike Sheehan, but I don't. I don't remember Timothy. Maybe if it's been a while now. Uh, Rachel Pranzo, uh, Raquel Pranzo. She grew up in North Babylon. Tom, many years before you, <laughs> she says. Um, I'll be fifty-three in May. God willing. Oh, Margaret, o Margaret O'Hearn. She's she's asking, "Where's Angel? Angel, and I. If in the perfect world, Angel and I will be doing the show on Monday night called uh, the Week in Policing, and on Thursday nights I'll be doing this one after hours. Mark the mails after hours, and um, that's that." Let me see. Uh, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody else that I want to. Uh... Doo -doo 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 -doo. Okay, we're back. Oh, you know, we were talking about um, this releasing people. This guy got released. We were talk. We started off. Um, Adams, 
uh, Eric Adams talking about Eric Adams, MTA chair uh, and the MTA chair. They bashed the second release of New York City feces attack suspect, a clear threat to public safety. Not only was this guy arrested for the feces smearing, but he was in Brooklyn a couple of days prior. So when they released him, well, he he uh, he punched a, a, a Hasidic Jew in the face. Mm-hmm. So not only was so when they released him, well, they were going to release him for the the feces thing. They realized, oh, he still has an open warrant for the um, for the rabbi thing. So, well, okay. I, I don't know if it was a rabbi, but uh, a Hasidic man in from Brooklyn. So he went for that, and then they released him for that. And it's, uh, I forget what it's called, some type of uh, some specialized release or uh, a monitored release. I don't even know what it means. You know what a, a monitor, put him in the freaking... What does it take to let these guys have a couple of days to cool off and and maybe like um, you know give give the general public a rest? Yeah, exactly. You know. It. I. I yeah. It, well, that's the whole. You know, it's funny to me is that people talk about oh well, uh, people who support when Cuomo uh, signed the bail reform law into you know into uh, into law that oh it's not a big of a deal and and and. Um, you know, the people aren't going to, they're not going to do this, they're not going to do that. But meanwhile, yeah, and I'm not saying that all the uh, dregs of society are, are people who are out on, on bail from bail reform, but clearly there have been many. There have been many people mm-hmm. who have done all kinds of crazy shit. They get locked up and then they mm-hmm. send them right back out again. And, and, and then people are shocked when they do more crazy things. You know, once you've identified someone as being a menace to society, that's the whole purpose of having jail mm-hmm. is to put them in jail. Like you said, give them the time out that they need. Maybe give them a psych workup at Bellevue. Uh, you know, when someone is a, a clear and present danger to our society, how many you know eighty year old grandmothers does it take? You know, how many four year olds does it take getting shot on a, on a sidewalk uh, before you, you you remove these people from society for a, a really good length of time? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, again, it's this constant effort for the cops. It, it, it's it's frustrating. What about what about the victims? What about the victims' families? You know, these people who are traumatized are never going to forget this for the rest of their lives. It's it's unbelievably so unfair to them, and it's just it's frustrating as hell for those of us who have been there, and especially if you know someone who's been victimized. What are you supposed to tell? You know, they they look to. You know, it's funny. I don't know if this happened to you, Mark, but you know, people approach me all the time, and they're so frustrated about. Oh, why are you doing this? Why do I'm like, I'm not there anymore. I did my bit for mm-hmm. King Country, and I, I can tell you a thousand stories of of either people I locked up or that we just locked up in general that are back out there. It's only it's in rare occasions that uh, someone does something so unbelievably heinous that they have no choice but to lock them away. Uh, if you've ever seen, um, there's a, a channel called TV One. And then uh, Investigation Discovery did uh, a profile on a case that I worked on back in 2006. It was a, a young man, uh, a young African-American man who was chased onto the Bell Parkway by four white males. Now You're talking about um, Howard Beach? About the Howard Beach incident. That was no. 20 that years was in, ago. Yeah, that was 90s. Yeah. That was uh, 86, if I'm not mistaken. Because mm-hmm. it was almost 20 years to the, not the day. Yeah, I remember I was a kid. Ago. I was a kid when that happened. Yeah, exactly. So this, this case uh, originally was being seen as almost a reboot of Howard Beach. This was in Plum Beach. This is uh, Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, where this case happened. And what happened was um, they were originally looking at this as a bias, uh, as a racial bias case, potentially. And then uh, what was happening was we were seeing things online which suggested that it w- was biased, but not racial bias, and it may have been an anti-gay uh, case because there were people on his MySpace page at the time. There was MySpace, and AOL was more prevalent than what we have now. And people was talking about uh, how, his name is Michael Sandy. If you want to Google it, you'll, you'll on YouTube or, or online, you'll find it. Um, they talked about how you know Michael was gay, and that they must have targeted him because of that. And long story short, they you know when we got subpoenas to look into his, uh, this what obviously was being investigated primarily by hate crimes task force. He was beaten up. He died three days later on his 29th birthday. 
And uh, when they got subpoenaed for his laptop, they got into his laptop, saw that he was chatting online with this guy. Uh, the guy lured him to this location. I remember that. Yeah, right. And so they were they were going to hook up and, and, and whatever and smoke some weed. And then three of his friends popped out of the bushes. They And the whole purpose for luring uh, him there was to rob him. They wanted to take his money, take whatever weed he has, and, and take the money from him to go buy more weed. And um, because he fought back and they chased him down like, like a dog in the street, you know, and they, and they ran across the Belt Parkway, mm-hmm. got into the center median, they fought with him again and pushed him into the uh, oncoming traffic on the other side. And um, didn't he leave helped. his computer open and that's how they solved the case? That's how you guys solved it? They got a subpoena uh, for the computer. And then, yeah, the, it, when, they op- when they got the computer open, uh, the, the chat. The AOL cat was still up. Originated was still on there. Yeah, not that really. Did you talk at the homicide course? I'm sorry. Were you one of the speakers on the homicide course? No, because I remember I used to be the um, uh, I used to coordinate the homicide course for the detective bureau for a couple of years. Oh, okay. And one of one of the um, the uh, investigators who worked on the case, I think it was computer crimes guy. Mm -hmm. He. uh, he he brought that up and he we that we went into that uh, how the the um, that was the last chat that was on that gentleman's yes um uh computer and that's how they caught them they were uh, able to and there was a ping involved too because it was next door it was coming next door I remember that part of the story yeah they were using they were using the wi-fi of a neighbor who actually was a cop yeah, so yeah, when, yeah. I remember uh, I remember that they originally knocked on the door of the house where the IP address came back to they, you know, start talking to this cop, and the cop was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. And then, uh, they, you know, they realized that these guys actually kind of just hacked into his Wi-Fi and used that, and came back to that location. But my 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 point, I guess, in in, in relating that story was these one or two of the guys had like a minor record for some minor bullshit, um, but they were up until that point, these guys hadn't really done much, and. Uh, the youngest of the of the group, I think, it was 16 at the time. He he flipped uh, on the other three, and so three of the four uh, got. I think they got anywhere from uh, eight to 22 years. Wow! Right? Because not only were they being charged as uh, you know with obviously the the murder and, and the robbery, but it was murder and robbery as a hate crime. And since New York has had the hate crimes law since 2000. Anytime you're actually charged with and then and then convicted of any of those crimes, it doubles the, the jail sentence, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, you know, in a city of eight to ten million people, if you have that much of a problem, you know, with, with someone who's different than you because of mm-hmm. their race or their, you know, their gender or their religion or their sexual orientation, and you're going to beat them up because of that, then that's a problem. You need to talk about that problem in jail for a long time. Well, since you brought it up. Um... You do you, you, on your uh, website. You have all the different types of training that you you do. Um, let me see where where are we right now? You got crime prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, also, police encounters is another thing that you teach. Um, but yeah, so- what, what I found interesting was the the LGBT training, the cultural diversity training. And the reason why I was interested in that was because I recall when George Floyd uh, happened, when he mm-hmm. was when he was killed, and it was right. That's when uh, the whole defund the police movement came to be, and uh, just the hatred and the vi- the visceral that was coming towards law enforcement. And at the same time, it was uh, the Pride Parade here in New York City, mm-hmm. and they decided that they weren't going to uh, let uh, I guess it was goal or maybe anybody who wanted to march from the NYPD that, you know, in the LGBT in uniform, they were uninvited to participate. Yeah. And that bothered me a lot because um, I worked with, I worked with gay and lesbian police officers. I worked with every different race, you name it. People don't realize how diversified the police department is. Mm-hmm. But I knew how much it meant to the gay uh, and lesbian police officers that I worked with to march proudly in the uniform. And it was a way to humanize the department and say, look, we're just we're more than uh, a uniform. We have lives. 
and uh, we have families and sexual preferences and and things of that nature just a full rounded life just like you and then they they just took that away and i i it just bothered the hell out of me man yeah yeah so it's uh it's an interesting dynamic that's happening right now because i mean one of the, 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 the this is the battle that i that i wage when I'm, whenever i'm called on to uh, to some of these shows you know and in the past uh when I was either, if I got brought on to Fox or Fox Business News, it's kind of preaching to the converted there because they usually will take the side of the cops regardless of, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these other shows and networks, you have to kind of pitch your case a little bit more, you know, because of the demographic that you're dealing with and, and you know, the, the shows themselves. So, uh, and, I, you know, look, I can, I can advocate for the police all day, and it's a lot easier to advocate for the police when they've done things legally and lawfully and, and by the confines of, of the patrol guy, right? Um, in the case of George Floyd, you know, when you're on a guy's neck for 10 minutes, it's hard. You can't, you can't defend something like that. Um, but, you know, in the case of, uh, you know, Goal and, and, and the Pride Parade, what's happened now is that the, the organization that runs the New York City Pride Parade has changed hands. And the people who are uh, in there now are very super left, like ultra, ultra, you know, uber liberal kind of folks, uh, where they're kind of feeling that the parade should be brought back to what it originally started as, which was strictly just a civil rights parade and or slant uh, anti-police, anti-police brutality march, right? Mm -hmm. That's what started as a year after Stonewall. In, in uh, Stonewall's 1969, in 1970, they had their first parade, or first march, I should say, equal rights, uh, civil rights march. They don't realize, because these people are so narrow visioned, they don't realize how different the police department is now versus what it was in 1969. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 35, 36,000 cops left, give or take. Um, and there's uh, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 members of Goal. So, and now there are actually three, if I'm not mistaken, openly transgender officers, which has never happened before. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of work that went into uh, cops, gay and lesbian cops, trying to become equal in the police. I was part of that work. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm considering myself gay and my husband's gay. I'm, you know, I just kind of play along. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when I, but when we came into the police department in 1992, you know, it was a very different type of police department. They were it was very male, white, heterosexual dominated police department, uh, and you had a lot of old timers that were there from the 60s still, right? Mm-hmm. 60s and 70s. So the mindset was was that you know women really didn't get too bad of a shake if you were a, a lesbian. Because that's just kind of like just assume that any most women that were on the job were probably lesbians, and, and the ones who weren't, they tried to you know tried to, to sleep with. Uh, but then any anyone who was uh, you know thought of to be you know, uh, gay uh, or somewhere in between, you know, was was immediately you know an outcast. Mm-hmm. In, in most cases, there were cops that literally had fistfights with other cops in the locker room or in the, in the garage or in the basement of a command to prove you know, that they, they deserve to be on the job and, and be out there for eight or 10 hours a day with them riding in a radio car. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just, you know, people don't realize that internally the, the, the work that was done on behalf of gay and lesbian cops to make change within the NYPD, but then also take that change out to the communities has been immense. Uh, the goal of today does amazing work. They do amazing trainings in the academy now. A lot of which we built. You know, I'm, I'm considered like a goal elder now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, we brought about a lot of that change when it wasn't easy to do that. It was. It was. It was different, but it was changing mm-hmm. because when we came on, you know, obviously there were. Um, you mentioned the female officers. Some of them, it was. You know, it wasn't even. We were, it's not like we knew for a fact. We just assumed. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I worked with a guy who, you know, lived with his uncle. We all knew he was gay. Mm-hmm. We, we played along that he was with his uncle or whatever. 
but nobody cared. Um, as a matter of fact, I worked with a couple of guys who were into S and M, and you know they took me to play. We went out a couple of times to these places and uh, cheeks, cheeks or captains. What? Cat vault. The vault. Chiefs or captains. <laughs> oh no, no, no. They, they, were, they, were, they were cops, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were out of out of their mind, man. <laughs> out of their mind, these two guys went. And then I worked with another guy. He liked to um he had a separate locker for his uh his female clothes. And it, it you know, every once in a while he'd you know, maybe after, once a month, every four to twelve. Well, yeah, he, you know, no, we'd just be hanging out, and he'd be throw the wig on and the high heels and the and the and the dress, and walk around and spend the whole day in the dress. Wow! And he was a huge bodybuilder, so you couldn't say anything to him. You know, people like scared of the guy. He's like a powerlifter guy walking around in the dress in the office, and even the bosses, they were, you know, they were scared to say anything. Like, you know, you. <laughs> It was weird. The police department is, is the best, and, the, and it's crazy. People don't realize that. Um, Real Earth Robo says the girls weren't lesbian, Mark. They just just, just didn't like didn't you. Like you. Hey, Real Robo, uh, <laughs> I never met a girl who didn't like me, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, Paul Megan, if pigs in a blanket fry them like vegan, it's Nice. Oh, for, no, no, it's it's sometimes we get like people that just they wander in. I don't know. Yeah. They hear about it. We used to have we got a monitor that's supposed to um monitor these people, shoo them away, but it's all yeah. right. It, it, I, I didn't even get that. It well really is, that's all right. Might as well say a straight white person did it instead of a hate crime. Yeah, this guy Paul, uh I don't know. He's on the verge of getting the boot. I don't know what he's talking about. I hope he's I hope he's kidding. Uh, we don't want to like um, have you know be offending people on here, yeah. but uh, back to um, the nature of at hand. Um, so yeah, that, like I was saying, that bothered me a lot. And one of the things that sucks about being a police officer uh, anywhere is that nobody, if you're on that far left, like the people that took over the the pride parade, um, you don't want to know that a police officer is a person they their um the uniform represents the government mm -hmm. and it's our opposition and we're trying to fight it and you know it makes it very very difficult because you have all like look at the um jason rivera officer rivera mm -hmm. and will mora who were, were assassinated mm -hmm. uh, those two officers were dominican from washington heights yeah the 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 hero that you know stepped up and, and killed mclean Sutan, um, he um, he was Indian, mm -hmm. so this is a very very diversified police department right now. Yeah, you know you can never be happier, right? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I I don't know if it's funny more than more than factual that that I again when whenever these high profile police cases come up, whether it's NYPD or or, or someone else. Uh, they they will call me up and I and uh, I'm basing my uh, my opinion and my app and my advocacy on you know 22 years of of being you know in the street being uh, doing plain clothes doing you know uh, community policing you know in the uniform uh, out of the uniform uh, you know teaching in the academy you know doing community affairs doing crime prevention investigating hate crimes so not that I know I don't know everything about being a cop, I, I would never consider myself, you know, I was the best cop ever. Um, I think I was a good cop. I think I did the job really well. Um, I, I, like I said before, I think I, I feel like I contributed to leaving the place in better shape than when I found it. And I had enough experience in, in a lot of different areas of, of the job to give people, to raise people's level of awareness as to why cops do some of the things that they might be doing. And I honestly feel that, you know, I mean, people say, oh, cops are just a bunch of racist stormtroopers. Yeah, there are, there are some cops that, are, that act like racist stormtroopers. But, yet, you know, in the United States of America, 350 million people, give or take, you know, we still live in a racist, sexist, homophobic, transgenderphobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic society. Uh, there are a lot of people, we were all socialized to believe certain things about a lot of different people. The police are subculture within our overall culture, right? And 
you know, six months of training is not going to, it's not going to reprogram somebody to be the perfect robot, you know, law enforcer that you want them to be. At the end of the day, when the training fails, everything falls back onto, you know, what kind of a person is this? Is this person at the core a real racist asshole? Or is this someone who knows how to deal with people and get the job done without, you know, stepping on somebody's neck for 10 minutes? Well, if you if you're a racist and you're coming on to settle the score with, you know, you want to become a cop because you want to straighten the streets out, you're going to be very disappointed with the NYPD because, you know, it's not that department. It's no. not you're not going to you're going to you're not going to find the crew to hang out with. No. Um, there's not going to be people of your ilk there. You know, like I just mentioned, three officers that were all working that night in, in the three two mm-hmm. and uh, neither one of them was white. Right. So um, it's a different job. Let's uh, t- tap into this uh, chat for a second. Uh, hey, listen, I apologize, Paul. You get a lot of people that come to your defense. Uh, so forgive me if I insulted you. I didn't get the, the joke. Um, let's see. Real with Robo Mark. He said, okay, yeah, the people are explaining to me what the guy said. Um, no, no harm, no foul, buddy. Rafael Ramos, they disbanded the street crime unit, gang division, and um, another unit, uh, causing shootings and homicides to spike in record numbers. What do they think was going to happen? I don't think they care. We're talking about a group of people right now, the people that are in charge of uh, bail reform and things. Like, for example, we mentioned earlier, most of the time, when we first came on the job, we used to say things like... um, Oh, wait till it happens to somebody they know, somebody in their family. We'll see how they feel. That really wasn't going to happen. It was rare that crime came lower than, uh, you know, 96th Street at some point. It used to be 125th, you know, 96th Street. It was almost like a joke in a way. If you went into Midtown, you could take the subway all day, all night. Not a problem, you know, really. But nowadays, it's happening everywhere. There's no safe uh, community anywhere because we're not taking the, we're not uh, doing anything with the these homeless people that are that are off their meds, these schizophrenics. They're they're out there and they're punching people in the face, random people, no matter where they are. Um, so, and I don't think they care. I really, really don't think they care if their their family's harmed. They're they're so tunnel vision on what they want to score to win this game of theirs you know they that that's why they look at the uniform as a government tool they don't want to know you as a person they don't want to know that you have a family um that you got two dogs you know they don't want to know any of that it doesn't matter you know you represent something that we got to dismantle i just i found it interesting that uh not long after uh i guess a few weeks ago eric adams had a discussion about um, some of the initiatives they were going to do to, to, you know, bring down the spike in crime and, uh, and, and uh, the homeless and, and mentally ill situation. You know, de Blasio gave his wife a billion dollars to create this New York City Thrive program, which when they started it, they had this big hullabaloo, big news conference, and, and she couldn't even explain what it was. And, you know, here it is years later after a billion, billion plus dollars, allegedly, uh, that was, you know, where are the programs? Where are all the services that that money was supposed to buy to address this issue? There are more psychos running around now that I think than there have been in, in, in a couple of decades. You know, well, part of it was what I was, up, you know, but. part of it is what I was telling you that I do in the police academy. But there was a couple of different prongs to that. So besides for the training that people come and get, the officers, in-service officers, not the recruits, uh-huh. in-service officers come and get this training, how to handle mental illness. Then there was supposed to be another component where we, everybody knows about this now, where you, you ride along. The clinicians initially might have been in a car riding along with a sector, uh-huh. um, heading to people who fit the um, what they're, the profile of what they're looking for, which is a nonviolent emotionally disturbed person uh-huh. when well, we know for a fact that at any time if somebody's really gone mentally uh-huh. they could be nonviolent one second and then all of a sudden become very violent yeah. in another second and that's why this whole thing with the um 
with the clinicians and um, and these uh, uh, community advisors and all these other things, you know, it looks great on paper, and it's it's a nice thing to do, you know, to 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 uh, think about, you know. But I'm saying the reality is, you're gonna want somebody there with a gun at all times, just in case. Yeah, and that's why these things don't work. Well, where are the violence interrupters? Weren't they supposed yeah. to stop all this? Well, there was just an incident, uh, I think, in Brooklyn with um, a gang leader or, or 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 a gang. Somebody somebody was uh, sitting in the car, and they got rolled up, and they got the no, local neighborhood drug dealer got got killed, mm-hmm. got ambushed. He was with his uh, nephew in the car, and he was like twenty five, twenty eight, or something like that. Nephew was fourteen. Nephew didn't it got it didn't get hurt that bad, but he got killed. So. I was thinking to myself, yeah, well, this is a what happened to um, the, the the violence interrupters because this is a good situation. Let's go see how this works right now. Find the people that that killed this guy, this drug dealer. Sit him down in a meeting and and slap him on the wrist and say, "Hey, tell us who did this and don't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. You're not going to stop a gang war. Yeah. It, these people are fighting for a corner, you know, where they're going to make money in the future. You're not. They're, they're not going to listen to you. Oh, we got that. And then you also have, like like Raphael was mentioning uh, a little while ago, you have when they disbanded street crime. You know, that That's the unit that was getting the majority of the guns off the street. And when you do stupid bullshit like that, where you make these changes that are only literally shooting yourself in the foot as far as crime goes, what do you expect? You know, what do you – and again, l- listen, and I've said this a thousand times. I've said it on national television that – I will never advocate on behalf of a cop that has done something dirty, illegal, or against you know rules and regulations, uh, and, and especially something that's outright you know racist or, or whatever. Uh, I'll be the first one to say that 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 guy should be you know fired and and, and potentially in jail if, if he committed a crime as as a result of his actions. But by and large, the majority of cases that become high profile cases, many times more than not. Cops acted the way they should have acted. The result was not something that you know some people in the community would want, you know. But it it, it unraveled the way it is. The Eric Garner case was was a perfect example of that. You know, uh, I was on CNN a couple of this is probably when De Blasio was running for president a couple of years ago, and uh, and the, uh, that's when the, the police commissioner had fired uh, Pantaleo, right, for his actions in regards to Eric Garner. And this is another case where the optics of it looked awful. The whole thing is on video. You see Pantaleo on on Eric Garner trying to take him to the ground physically, right, after they've had a conversation with him. And, you know, you see the officer at the beginning of that video, by the way, reach for Eric Garner's hand to to put a handcuff on him, and Eric Garner pulls away from him, saying, Mm -hmm. no, you're not taking me, you're not taking me. Eric Garner's a big dude. Yeah. You knew that that was going to be a bad – when any of us have had to deal with someone, especially someone of that size – and they tell you, you're not taking me, right? Or you have to come get me. It's like, oh, man, here we go. You know, it's like, listen, I'm, tr- I'm just trying to do my job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's, you are under arrest. You know, we have to put you in handcuffs. We'll get you back to the station. We'll just take care of this. And you'll be out before you know it, right? Especially in today's day. So why he chose to, to resist them that day, forcing them to have to amp it up and take it to a level where they had to get physical with him to take him to the ground, we'll never know, right? <laughs> But yet, you know, on the flip side, you'll get people say, oh, they just, you know, they, they attacked him because he was black. They, uh, you know, they choked him to death. You know, even though after, during the, the court cases, that it comes out that the whole maneuver that Pantaleo used was an academy-trained and approved seatbelt maneuver, which during the struggle, you know, comes up and, he, and as they're all rolling around on the ground, he's, he's on his neck. Hmm. But immediately... When he's down on the ground and they and they get him cuffed, they immediately bring medical attention to him. Right, the EMS is there, and and it's and it's an African American sergeant, by the way, who gives the wink to to take this guy down. All right, so you know, there's a lot of little things that come into play with incidents like that that people just don't want to hear. Right, they, because the police are immediately at fault. There's you know, as, and as if they could have done something better. Right. And then on top of that, the one thing that everyone forgets about that case is that that case, that perfect storm that took place in Staten Island that day, 
came out of the at, at the behest of the mayor, because the mayor said to the PC and the chiefs and everyone that you know that world that shit rolls downhill that they want them to crack down on the sale of untaxed cigarettes. Well, Why? they get money from the federal government for that because the city was losing money, right? Yeah, so, they, they, know, it's so, part of the um, the housing projects. Lucy's, you know, and so they here it is. They go after Eric Garner who's selling Lucy's. But, but the thing is, with in that in that situation, that money comes from the federal government to the housing projects, mm-hmm. and um, it's inside that bill. Is like, for example, they can't get federal agents to come and 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 do this looking for who sells Lucy's. So right. they they send the work to us, and there's a number that's attached to it, you right. know. And then right right when that happened, was like, oh, it's you know as well as I do, police talk. Oh, we need five more. Mm-hmm. Or we need we need ten more. So get out there and and you know hook me up, fellas. And that's that that's what that was. It was like, you know, they were they were they had to do it to to keep resi- getting these grants from the federal government to lock up, uh, you know, untaxed cigarettes. And they were a little shy about what they had what they needed. Um, Scott Wagner says the whole problem now is bail reform. Thank you, Scott. Um, and he, you know, listen, we can all look back to, to bail reform as a big, big problem. And that's why it was so important for them to push it. They knew it was going to be a big problem to overcome that. If you keep putting the same people back into the streets, the neighborhoods don't get a break. Um, the person the the person doesn't get a break. You know, you know, as well as I do, people, um, you know, there, there comes a time of year that sometimes they want to get arrested. For whatever reason, their body's beaten down. They're not eating. You know, they they haven't eaten. They want to get off the drugs, clean up, uh, feel, and then they take almost like a little vacation. They go there. They get three square meals a day. It's too cold to be outside anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the shelter, um, and the hospital's not letting me stay extended stays. So I'm gonna have to go this route, and they get arrested. But now they're not even getting that safe haven. And I think somewhere in the and the logic behind it is that mentality too. Don't give them a safe haven. Put them out in the street until they freaking die, or until somebody kills them. Well, I, it's funny you, you say that. Uh, not that part, but the <laughs> the part about them wanting wanting a little vacation in the hospital. Because I one of the theories that I was uh, just recently talking about with, with a, another retired, a couple of retired guys, was that because of the, if you think about it, in the last couple of years, the hospitals were overrun with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they're going to go? You're right. So that's mm-hmm. and and again in the last couple of years that's when you've seen a spike in crime. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know if it's correlation. I'm not a you know I'm not a, a data guy, but I necessarily to, to track all that. But I I think other- I I think that you know that's an interesting point that you bring up, and I, I think um, it it probably has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. My my son's um, he's on the verge of uh, uh, being a nurse. He works a uh, nursing companion right now, but. Um, you know, he does these overnights and he tells me about how people come to the emergency room, homeless people, and, you know, they crash out. They fall asleep on the gurney. They wait to be seen. They go through the whole thing. They're getting a good night's sleep out of because, you know, when you go to an emergency room in the city, you're going to have to wait for a while. And sometimes since the, the hospitals aren't as busy as they used to be, they get treatment and they get sent out right away back on the street. And they're like upset. They don't want to go back out. You know, they, they're not done yet, you know, getting their rest or they figure I got another meal coming to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, man. Uh, you know, I don't think you know what the city used to do. And I remember B- Bloomberg. He was so cute w- when he said it was, um, you know, he wants to give him a one way bus ticket to uh, wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I mean. Idea. You know as well as I do. It's like if you don't handle your business, you're only going to let it, another cop handle it for you. You know what I'm saying? So that's what he's doing to others. Uh, that's what he was doing to other states. Basically, you know, I don't know how many people took advantage of that idea of, of taking their one way ticket to across the country and being homeless in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not a good way of looking at it. It's nobody wants it to the, to face it head on. And actually do something about it and figure out, okay, why don't we create a situation where we, we give these people a place to keep their stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, I recommend that Ward's Island where they throw these stupid parties there over the summer. 
Mm-hmm. And then a whole uh, they don't do nothing with it over the winter. Why not build freaking buildings as tall as the eye can see? You know, five to a floor, common bathroom. You downstairs you have um you have uh nurses 24 hours. The doctors come during the day. You can get your meds filled out if you want to go to drug treatment. You got drug treatment right there. If you want to smoke your smoke your crack right there, you could smoke because you know that's what's happening right now. They 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 have these shoot them up things. Yeah. You could shoot your heroin. So you could either shoot your heroin or, or, or go get some methadone or go talk to a co- all in one place. That's that's my theory. And then you build this uh, a, a fence. Oh, they, they got to catapult them over there. <laughs> <laughs> but but in the meantime, you get them you get them out of out of the way. You know, let me say they get treatment. They get a, a place to keep their stuff. And you keep them occupied on, on the Ward's Island. You know what I'm saying? And if they want to come out, of course, they are allowed to. You know, they're not made to stay there. But we're talking about, uh, you know, cleaning up the streets and, and let, letting people, like, not have to fear anymore being on the subway. Yeah, I mean, look what's happening now. If you, even in midtown Manhattan, you know, if you take the, if I take the train into Penn Station, come out of Penn Station, it, it literally is going backwards to what it was like when we first came in mm. yeah, and, and it started to look like the late eighties, early nineties all over again. I'm not going on the train. I'm six foot four, 250 <laughs> pounds. I get on the train. Everybody looks at me like the savior just got, I'm going to save everybody. I'm like, I'm not saving you. I just look out the window like this, <laughs> my business. Yeah. <laughs> no, this guy's going to, he's going to help us. This guy, if something happens, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I'm going to call police. Those days are over. You got a phone just like me. Call 911. Get it yeah, on exactly. speed dial, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Instead yeah, of videotaping it, you know, putting it on TikTok. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, I tell you, it's a shame. I, it, it's what's really shameful is that it was 25 years of, of, you know, hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, especially blood, because there's a lot of cops that have paid for it in blood. And uh, it's just infuriating to me that out of eight or nine million people in the city, the best the city could do was, was the Blasio. And, you know, and this guy was, again, like we talked about prior to going on the air, that's one of 72 reasons why I retired, but it was one of the top three or four, mm-hmm. because I, I knew I could see the handwriting on the wall with him coming in. It was not going to be a good scene. And I just, at that point, I didn't really have much left in the tank, you know, to, I felt like I, I gave everything I got. You know, my numbers were, were, were good enough to retire. So I said, why should I stick around for this? You know, I have to do 400 hours of overtime to maintain, you know, where my pension numbers were going to be. So, and and quite frankly, uh, as we discussed offline, you know, uh, I mentioned to, to Mark that I, you know, I just literally came out of, you know, uh, cancer surgery in December for 9-11 related laryngeal cancer. This, this is my fourth laser surgery on my vocal cords. You know, it's laryngeal cancer of the vocal folds, which normally someone who is a long-term heavy smoker would get, mm-hmm. or someone who worked on a coal mine, or someone who's exposed to toxic chemicals. Or somebody who is so, a heavy smoker that worked in a coal mine, <laughs> that in the coal mine there was a lot of toxic chemicals. I only fit one of those three, which is the toxic chemicals, which is from, you know, being chased on the block on 9-11 by, you know, a hundred sensory building and it's standing on the pile for days and weeks on end, you know? So, uh, that's why I have this GERD. Like I'm, uh, thank yeah, God I, I, I didn't find it. I, uh, you know, yeah. Angel was busting my chops. Angel Masonette. I do the show with him on, um, on Monday nights. And he says, Hey, can you do me a favor? Not eat before we, we go on. I'm like, why? He goes, because you, you're always burping. And I'm like, well, that's my acid reflux, my GERD that I, I got in uh, from working 9-11. Yeah, so th- yeah. And he goes, oh, you're trying to make me feel bad right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gina's yeah, yeah. G. She says, back to blue. Nikki Bella, love NYPD. Back to blue. Ryan Investigative Group. I'm still waiting for the, the citywide Brian Watkins moment to happen. And what he's referring to is... Um, when Dinkins was mayor, that guy Brian Watkins came here from Utah with his family to to the U.S. Open. And his mother, they were going down in the subway, and his mother was uh, attack, uh, approached by somebody who was trying to steal a purse, and Brian stepped in to protect his mother, and he got stabbed right in the chest and died right there. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be um, 
seemed to be the moment that everybody decided, okay, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know, I I, I think the bodies are going to pile up way, way more, Bill. Because if you wanted a Brian Watkins moment, you had one when that uh, the poor lady got pushed on the on the subway tracks, and yep. it killed a couple of weeks ago. The nurse uh, that was coming home from work. And then you also have, I mean, the lady didn't die, thank God, but the lady who got hit in the head with a hammer. Every week we have another Brian yeah. Watkins moment. And so far, it, it, it's not its not gaining any traction. And now, let me tell you something right now. I mean, I, you got the war in the Ukraine and stuff like that. Try finding any crime stories. This is a perfect time to hide uh, any crime stories that you want. Because, you know, especially if you're a liberal media that doesn't want to show the surge in crime, you know, you, you right now, you oh, we're just focusing on the war at this time. Really? You're going to have to hear about it from word of mouth from most of the stations anyway, because you're not going to going to cover the news from now on. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you tune into local news like, you know, 10, 10 wins or something like that. that those are the only people you're really hearing it from of, of what's happening. So it's like, you know, so people. You know, think of the state that we're in right now. We just came through a over over two years now of a, of a, of a wicked pandemic. It's killed nine hundred thousand Americans or, or more, right? And and others who've gotten you know really really sick from it. Then you have on top of that, like this, this you know, like when I was a kid, uh, you know, we were worried about going to war with Russia back in the nineteen eighty you know nineteen eighties, right? The Cold War yeah. and, and and all that stuff. And then now it seems like we're back to that almost to that point again because you got Putin who's out of his mind. And then on top of that, now locally, all that's going on. And then on top of that, you're afraid to ride the subway and get pushed in front of an A train for your troubles, trying to go to work or coming home from work to go, you know, pick up Chinese food. It's like, what the hell's happening here? But the only where, way where, you can you can make it better in, in, a, in a civilized society. You know? I think I think you know one of the things is that all those buildings. I mean, there's people still coming to and from work. Most of them are. The people that were deemed essential workers. This, ha- I guess, half the population is going back into the offices now. Slowly, a couple of days a week. But if you want to really get rid of those people, man, you need to open the floodgates. Everybody needs to go back and forth to work every single day the way they used to. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully, you know, like uh, these people won't have a place to sit anymore or stay anymore because they take up they take up whole subway cars right now. You know, um, you walk, you you step onto a subway car, and there's like three or four, or five of them laying around. Or you're not gonna go in that one. You go in the yeah. other one, right? Um, Milwaukee civilian, she says, uh, "Great show, Chick Eastwater. New York City is done. Stick a fork in it." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny because having grown up here in New York City in the '70s and the '80s, you know, you didn't know any better. You know, I mean, just the fact that when uh, Giuliani took over. He uh, said that he was going to change Times Square, and it was like you were like, "Are you come on, man? That's you know, it's never going to happen." But the guy was a visionary, and he did it. And like you talked about earlier, about all the the hard work that went into turning this city around and make you know making it so you don't have to fear. So you know, there used to be a joke when we were kids about um, your mother used to give you a dollar for the mugger every day. Mm-hmm. That you know that, that that guy that boy comes up to you, you give him the dollar, don't fight him, you know. Yeah, and like, it was a running true. joke, but it was true. Like you know, you were gonna probably as you go outside, you're probably gonna get robbed. So, um, and now here we are back. We're 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 back in the thick of it, uh, and it hey, feels like it's more violent than ever. <laughs> Folks, um, what there was one? Oh, I wanted to show you this because uh, I, I had downloaded it. You know, with all the things that we talked about, gun violence and things like that, with all the things that are going on today, and life is tough enough as it is, um, if you're a certain age, man, you need to stop. You need to wake up and stop doing stupid things, okay? This guy is dead right now because I don't know what he was trying to prove, but... Shooter in a road rage incident that claimed the life of a Northwest suburban father. CBS 2's Sal Rezai says it started with a fight and quickly escalated. I've had the chance to talk to families on both sides of this, all of them very distraught, really still in disbelief that the argument on the road turned so tragic. 
This is 18-year-old Jonathan Mejia facing a first-degree murder charge along with aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. He's accused of shooting 46-year-old Scott Madison during a road rage argument in Streamwood on Sunday. Days later, family and friends still in shock. I'm still so stunned. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. In court today, prosecutors breaking down what happened through witness accounts. They say it all started when the defendant drove around the 46-year-old victim's truck instead of waiting as he was backing into a driveway. The victim then chased after Mejia, eventually blocking him with his car, getting out and hitting him in the face through the driver's side window. Shortly after, prosecutors say Mejia fired his gun multiple times at the victim from inside his car. Police say after the shooting on Sunday, he drove straight to the Streamwood Police Department, where he admitted yeah. to the shooting and having a gun he knows he shouldn't have. Court documents show Mejia served over a year in juvenile detention for aggravated discharge of a gun in 2021. A longtime neighbor of Madison's family says the shooting has left her with a sense of fear. Well, what is going on in this world? That's all I can think. I worry for my grandchildren and my children. Yeah, folks, uh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let it go. I don't get involved in any road rage things, man. Um, I drive, especially now, like you can only do 25 miles in the street over here, even though somehow I keep getting tickets that I'm doing 39. Mm -hmm. I'm, is my car set on 39? Every ticket I get, it says 39 miles an hour. There's no 38. There's no 41. It's always 39. That's why I know it's a lie. It's a blatant <laughs> lie. But. I got, you know, I get, now I'm getting better. I just drive 25 miles an hour and that's it. And it's not worth it, man. It's not worth it. Especially this guy had two daughters. Um, there's pictures of him with his daughters. It's just, it's just horrible. It's not worth it. Don't, don't get involved in these road rage things and these fighting things and um, live to see another day, man. You know, brave people die young, man. Cowards like me, we live forever. Like I'm going to go on. If I don't get cancer, I'm living to 100, man. I'm telling you right now. I don't fight nobody. <laughs> I'm, buying, I'm buying diapers now just in case I make it that far. <laughs> sure Let's see what we got. Folks, if you enjoyed tonight's show, uh, please click the like and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, we have a Patreon page. Please off the cuff at Patreon. If you, if you haven't and you feel inclined to do so, uh, help support the show. We'd love to have you. Um, what you got anything you got to plug you anything going on that you want to plug? Uh, let's see. What can we plug? I'm on, uh, if you check out, um, investigation discovery channel, uh, you'll catch me on season one and season two of, uh, crimes gone viral. Wow. And, That's uh, it. I'm going to check that, that out. TV and, uh, season two is on right now. As a matter of fact, on Monday night. What was it again? I want to tell my girl crimes, uh, crimes gone viral, gone viral. On, the on the discovery channel. Investigation Discovery. Investigation yeah. Discovery. All right. Yep, it's on uh, their website. You can look at it on the website. You can look at it live every Monday night. Season two is in progress right now. I'm in not all the episodes. I'm in I'm in a, a number of them, but not all. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty cool show. They take these videos that have gone viral, like crazy, whacked out crime scenarios, and uh, and they have myself and uh, two or three other people uh, uh, opine on on each of the videos and how mm -hmm. wackadoodle they are. So it's, it's pretty wild stuff, though, that some of these videos are just mind-blowing. You see the stuff that goes on, you're like, wow. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. We'll check it out. My my girl, she solves like three crimes a day. She's got it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's big into it, man. She's got the, nice. the, the laptop, the phone, the TV going. Everything's on. Um, we're solving crimes here, man. Nice. <laughs> good, good. Then, I, then I sign off on the paperwork. <laughs> let me see uh let me say good night to uh gina g thank you for tuning in jen low crime gone viral on I investigative discovery thank you peter pronzo for saying uh well done guys uh chick eastwater sandra h she says she loved the show i don't know whether it's this one or the uh, investigative discovery um see who else sandra h she says the ticket, the my tickets, my speeding tickets are pre-printed with your name on it and the 30 miles an hour. I know 39 miles an hour, those bastards. All right. Uh, Billy Ryan, Scott Wagner, everybody who tuned in tonight, thank you so much for making this another uh, really fun show to do. Tom, thank you for joining me. You're always welcome back. 
Thank you. And I hope uh, I hope you sound good. You, your vo- your vocal cords sound good. It's coming along. It's taking a while. It's uh, still weak. It's still a little weak. Uh, he said probably another four to six weeks. I should be back to 80, 90%. What are you, soprano? What's that? What, what do you sing, a soprano? Uh, okay. I, I sing uh, the blues. <laughs> all I right. get up in the morning, and this is what I see. I sing the blues. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. We'll be back Monday night. Monday night, um, we got a special guest. And I'll be put, putting her on the flyer. She's a reporter. It's going to be a great show. And um, I should have had her name ready. But that's why uh, I'm not on TV yet. Because <laughs> it's just me, by the way, doing all this. You know, I don't have an engineer. If I do, he's invisible and he's really lazy. I get the girlfriend involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's solving crimes. <laughs> solving crimes. Right. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Have a good night. <laughs>